This track is called Give You More.
One, two, three, one, two, we're wrestling in the show what about. But if you lend us your ears, we'll be sure to blow them out. It's such a fun day to pop off a grave. So come join us now while we tell you our names. J-Mo bangs on the drums, makes our faces bleed. Keep the music going, keep on rock the lead. Hustling face, he'll pull out your eyes. Jerry Bones on the couch, jump over and pay high. Get a pint size, punk who downs, pint after pint. Who else would go to the kitchen starting right? Last but not least on this roster, it's weak. Scotch, 
I won't die alone. Nanotech armor suit shines like chrome. Look around New York. What do I see? Avengers who survive must depend on me. He snapped his fingers, tried to make it new, all, all by himself. That's a bold move. Barney, where are you from? You look big and dumb. Built a better glove. Let me show you how it's done. Had to grab your hand, bring back all the stones. Straight from your glove, I thank you for the loan. Oh, now you're screwed, cause me and the crew are taking down your army and your big ass too. Saw you try to snap, you look like a fool. I'm sorry, Pepper Potts, I sacrificed for you. Snap my finger, now you're dead. I didn't do it all by myself, but did you see me do it? Do it, do it. Did you see me do it? Do it, do it. Yeah, you tell him, Star. Snap my finger, now you're dead. I didn't do it all by myself, but kinda I did. Did you see me do it? Do it, Pepper. Did you see me do it? Do it, Pepper. Hey, Pepper, were you watching? I did kinda do it all myself, though. Really? Uh, yeah. Statue, monument made to me. Whatever, New York Park. Uh, yeah, a statue would be great. No, I mean, I helped to. No, you didn't. No, you didn't.
I'ma always be here for you, mama So don't ever think that I won't
Review here with Old Colony Pest Control. If you're having pest problems in a commercial or residential setting, we're the people to call. Veteran owned, based in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, Old Colony has been here servicing your homes proudly, and we plan to keep it up. Our team is fast, efficient, and reliable. We go above and beyond to cater each project's individual need. No task is too much for us, so give us a call. 774 400 5993. Again, the number is 774-400-5993. Hope to hear from you soon. General Red Review, out. Another lesson from my neighborhood. Shootouts can be very dangerous, so when you're walking down the street and find yourself in the middle of one, don't run. Instead, duck, dodge, and roll. If you hear gunshots and you don't want to die, gotta duck, dodge, and roll. Yeah. You'll have a better chance of staying alive if you duck, dodge, and roll. Okay. Don't be like Bobby, who lost his head. He ran around in circles and now he's dead. If you want to stay alive, do this instead. Duck, dodge, and roll. <laughs> if you hear a hail of bullets from a semi-automatic, gotta duck, dodge, and roll. Remember as you run away to keep your moves erratic, gotta duck, dodge, and roll. See how that worked? 
There's just one thing to do when you gotta get away. Keep bobbing and a weaving, there's no need to be afraid. Cause this is not a drill and you're not an kid. Just remember, duck, dodge, and roll. Duck, dodge, and roll. Duck, dodge, and roll. This is Vianne Marie, and you're listening to Hoobazoo.com. You're the dead MC, flying at my feet. You took a nine millimeter rhyme straight to your mind. Damn, my better split. This, this is my time, so I make my way up the block. Get to home base and lock that. Run. Crack the Cavassia and grab the phone. Call one of my troops up. Hope the soldiers when he says, Yo, what's up? What's going on? Make it quick, cause I'm trying to get my stellar on. Go. You grow up in the. These lyrical assassins tried to pull a hit and then boom, came a noise from the other room. It was the boys in blue with the SWAT crew. They got us locked up for lyrical murder. It's one of them charges that you never heard of. It's the booth, the booth, the booth, the booth. Yeah, it's the booth, the booth, the booth. Yeah, we're killing all your podcasts like the HIV virus. You want to battle this kid? Huh, don't even try this. Back the uh. up, think again, count to ten. You want to grab that mic just to get done in? It's the booth. The booth. The booth. The booth. Yeah, it's the booth. The booth. The booth. The booth. Yeah, it's the booth. All right, your boys, and this to one broadcasting live from the City of Champions. You are listening to The Booth. It is October 5th, 2021. We are waiting the arrival of Ken Diesel. Before I get into the show, I got to thank my special guest from last week. We had actually two shows, two booths last week. Last week, I was lucky enough to have two CEOs on the show. 
Um, I had Shenya Korskus of the A7FL No Pads Football League, and I had Sean Donnelly of the Lingerie Fighting Championships. Both those guys came on last Tuesday night. Big props to those guys for coming on, hanging out with me. Good stuff. Uh, Shenna was on to talk about the new Boston team that they unveiled in the in the expansion. April of next year. March is going to be like the combine. It's going to be a big deal. He's going to be back on this show to talk about it. Friday night, I did a special show featuring Miss Gina from the She Talks Football podcast show and John Muller. They were both on. We broke down the Pats game, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but I broke the game down exactly as I said it was going to turn out. I, I said it wasn't going to be the blowout that everybody said, and here we go. Ken Diesel is here. Let me take a quick PSA and get Ken in here, and then we'll be back back after the booth. Hey there. General Red Revere here with Old Colony Pest Control. If you're having pest problems in a commercial or residential setting, we're the people to call. Veteran-owned, based in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, Old Colony has been here servicing your homes proudly, and we plan to keep it up. Our team is fast, efficient, and reliable. We go above and beyond to cater each project's individual needs. No task is too much for us, so give us a call. 774 400 5993. Again, the number is 774-400-5993. Hope to hear from you soon. General Red Review, out. All right, we're back here in the booth broadcasting live from the City of Champions, of course. Ken comes on the show. Just you know, So here's the funny thing. So I said, if Ken comes on, we could just take a quick PSA. Take a quick break and, and just, you know, get Ken in here. Of course, Ken comes in, like, right as we go live. So it's like you got to kill the momentum of the show like a Nick Folk 56-yard field goal and <laughs> doink us off the side of the post. Ken comes in here, and we take a quick break. Um, that ad actually was um, veteran-owned Carl Bunnell, Old Colony Pest Control. Big thanks to him. Check him out. But as I was talking... Um, Friday night, I had a big show um, on the booth, special show, Miss Gina from She Talks Football Podcast, and we had John Muller on. We broke down the Tampa game. It went exactly like I said it was going to be, low scoring. It was going to come down to this, that. I actually said it was going to come down to special teams. It actually did, and then we're going to talk about that when we get into the sports booth. Real quick, my sponsors, Michael Douglas, Beretto Electronics, MDB Electronics. If you guys want to get your controllers fixed, send it out to him. It's back in 48 hours. You're back to gaming. Also, Viana Marie's music is purchased anywhere streaming online. Check out vianamarie.com. Also, Tactical Target Systems. When I go to the range, and I keep forgetting, I got to hook up with Ken, get to the range before the season ends. Right, you do. Yeah, got to get there. Uh, RebelRom.com. That's my cousin's website. And again, Old Colony Pest Control, Carl Bunnell, veteran-owned. Make sure you support our veterans. He's got a great business there. Check him out. I'm glad to have him on the show with us as a sponsor. Um Tonight, as you guys can see, first Tuesday of the month, I got Ken Diesel on with me. What's going on, Ken? Not and a I whole got, heck of a lot. We got R Squared, Rob Resnick. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's get right into it in the news booth. Uh, the Big E came to an end, which everybody knows that's the big festival. Uh, the big talk at the Big E was they had a big brawl, and then there was this woman who found a wallet at the Big E and posted that the fact she took the $500 and bought her kids clothing and stuff uh 
Turtle Boy deemed her ratchet mom, and I, I agree. I agree. Usually I don't agree with Turtle Boy with a lot, but yeah, she's a ratchet, and I hope Kamar kicks her in the butt. Ken Diesel out his way in Boston. Guy Fieri is bringing a restaurant to Boston that's going to open late October, early November. The menu already has been released. Some of the items looks fantastic. Maybe if we can get our squid up here and maybe we can check out this restaurant. It looks like it's going to be great. A lot of different beers and things of that sort. So we got to keep our eyes on this. But one of the reasons why I got these guys on, I got a lot of political stuff and some things to talk about today. And the first thing in the news booth, I got these guys on to talk about. Andrew Yang, if you guys remember, Andrew Yang had ran for president. He was actually one of my dark horses. He was a guy that I really liked because he talked about a lot of the things that I talk about. But he just announced he's breaking his ties with the Democratic Party. And he's now going under the Independent Party, which I'm trying to think, when was the last time we had a very strong independent runner? Would it be Walter Mondale? That, was it that ticket? That the Independent Party ticket that went that had a lot of interest? No, Ross no. Perot. You're thinking of Ross Perot. Yeah. Well, it was Ross Perot. Okay. Okay. I thought it was Walter. I thought it was Mondale. My bad. Um, but it was Ross Perot. Uh, real quick, I got to get these guys' thoughts on this because we kind of saw this um, when he dropped out and he was unhappy with some issues in the Democratic Party. Um, I don't know who wants to start first. Give our Resnick first. That's what it has to say. Well, you know, Andrew Yang dropping out of the Democratic Party is like me dropping out of the National Football League. Neither one of us was actually part of it. And, you know, so look, here's a guy that decided he would run for president of the United States in an, in an incredibly complex time, having no political experience whatsoever. I mean, so so, you know, and then he tries to run for mayor of New York also with no relevant experience. New York may even be more complicated than the federal government sometimes. And uh, and you had a crowded field of people who had been experienced in New York City in various ways as, as political leaders, as activists, as police officers. There are all kinds of people running. He had no business in that field either. So whatever his disgruntled is, is uh, over this bye. Ooh, he said bye, Felicia. Oh, Ken, because you do a lot of work in the Democratic community. You you know, you've done a lot of stuff. So I know you've probably heard the grumblings. And is it pretty much the same thing from you and the people in the Democratic community? Well, frankly, you know, uh, as Rob said, you know, he it's like him running the NFL. I don't think anyone in the Democratic Party even realized he was a Democrat, including myself. Look, he's a drama queen. He's got a lot of money. He likes, he likes, you know, running. I, he was running for president the same way Trump was running for president. It was a thing to do and raise his brand level. He wants to run as an independent. Fine. Free country. God bless you. Don't door hit you in the ass. To quote the uh, great James, um, let me rephrase this. You're a big wrestling fan, uh, since the one, right? So mm -hmm. is Rob. There's this great, great wrestling manager. I think you all know who I'm talking about. Who one says, well, he had a very famous quote, how can I miss you if you never leave? <laughs> so I think that's a lot of what we're saying. It's like, you know, how can we miss you if you never if you never leave? So he's not really leaving. He, you know, he just likes he, attention. This is an attention right. getter. You know, you, good riddance to bad, good riddance to bad trash, as a friend of mine used to say. So you guys don't even think he would be a front runner for the independent party in four years from now? 
Mm-hmm. Well, there's no independent party. If he there, runs yeah. as an independent, it just means he's going to try to get on the ballot in as many states as right. he can. Right. Ross Perot, a multi-billionaire with a team around him, couldn't figure out how to do it. Uh, he, he obviously played a role in the 92 and 96 elections. Right. Maybe it would have been different. Maybe it wouldn't have been if he wasn't part of the uh, process there. But Yang doesn't even have that ability. And he doesn't have the name recognition that Perot had. So he could try to run. He may very well qualify because all you have to do is get enough signatures and you pay your money and you get on the ballot. Is he going to attract more than a fraction of a percent of the vote? No. Jill Stein is nothing but a spoiler and she gets to run for president. You've got the Libertarian Party who runs for president. There are a lot. There are over 100 political parties who have presidential candidates on the ballot. The media only focuses on the Republican and Democrat unless you have a Ross Perot in the mix because the rest of them aren't even relevant other than if you get a couple of percentage points, you might play spoiler in a particular state. And so other than that, so if Yang can't poll about two, three percent in a few states and sway the results of that state's election, you know, for the Electoral College, then he's not a factor. And if he does uh, change the outcome of a state, then shame on him. Which we almost saw with Kanye, because Kanye, if he didn't get his he didn't get his papers in on time. And that's what kind of got him out of the election, because he didn't get several papers that he needed to to get in time for the independent party, which was kind of scary because I felt like he shouldn't have ran anyway. And, yeah. and you know, but it was a it was a scary thing. So, again, Andrew Rang has broken his ties with the Democratic Party. He will be running as an independent. We'll have to see what happens when the next election comes our way. Getting into the legal booth and me and R Square, we're actually talking about this off air because this is this is a big one. This is one of the reasons why I have these guys come on this show. They have legal backgrounds, they can talk about stuff, and they're kind of not blowing smoke up everybody's butts. So, you know, when they talk about this, it's uh pretty pretty interesting and it's gonna be pretty much fact based. Uh, so the first story in the legal booth right now, Alex Jones. If you guys don't know who Alex Jones is, he is the guy that oversees the website InfoWars, which is this website that you know puts a lot of information out there. It it puts a lot of misinformation out there, and they were under fire. They've got like they've got like three lawsuits against them right now. Two of them <laughs> are connected to the election, uh, where they're trying to say that the election was fixed, and they've got all this propaganda going on. Well. Prior to this election, Alex Jones was making comments and what kind of got his name out there was he was trying to say that Sandy Hook was fake. He was saying that this was one of these uh, fake flags and this really didn't happen. People were actors. He was spewing this whole mess. And guess what? Alex Jones at InfoWars got sued. He filed appeals. And guess what? He lost them all. He's now going to pay damages to all the families who lost children at Sandy Hook in Connecticut, he's going to pay all those people out. Now, why are we bringing this up and why are we talking about it? R-Squid, if you haven't seen it yet, he wrote a great article piece on this over on The Corridor. So if you want to go over it, check it out. It has a lot to do. Pay it, Pay attention to this story, people, because this has a lot to do with what's going right now with the Dominion voting machine scandal where you have all these people like the pillow guy and all these people out there saying that the election was fixed and there's still today there's still no proof we just saw some stuff go down in arizona where they just said you know what we're just going to call this there's no proof and you still have people spewing this whole thing that the election was fixed like alex jones who r squared you wrote the article i'm gonna let you talk about it more because you 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 it was a great piece and you 
you bled this right into the whole Trump false fixing of the election. And I'll let you explain it first, and then I'll let Kim give his thoughts on it. Yeah, so indulge my logic trail for just a moment here. This was portrayed as a free speech issue. And I mean, it is a free speech issue, except for the fact that free speech doesn't apply to what InfoWars does. Here's the distinction, right? Because a lot of people say, well, you've had, you know, papers like the, you know, the National Enquirer and Mm. and publications like that for decades, and uh, they get sued sometimes and they lose those lawsuits and have to pay out judgments, but they're, but they're allowed to exist. Well, the difference is uh, those organizations have have kind of made it so that they're viewed as entertainment more so than real news outlets. Right. So so they've they've created a little bit of a niche for themselves that people read it, you know, because it's funny, it's entertaining. you're, You're lonely and you're looking for something to read, you know, whatever the case may be. But it's not real news and it doesn't have any harm because while some people may actually take it seriously, that's not what it is. You, you fast forward to today's world and you have these social media sites like Infowars where they don't portray themselves as entertainment. They're not trying to be funny. They portray themselves as the ones who tell the truth when everybody else doesn't, when the media doesn't, when the news doesn't, when the politicians don't. And so they play a very dangerous role because they are intentionally misleading people uh, on very important issues of the day. And so there's nothing funny or entertaining about that. In fact, they cause harm to people. When you look specifically at Sandy Hook, what you had there was uh, Alex Jones and his publication or his, his website putting out what they knew to be false information. And that's why it's not protected. Media sometimes make an error They can get sued. They might have to pay damages. They might have to put up a retraction. Uh, They do that and they try to get their credibility back. Sometimes you fire the person who's responsible for the mistake. This website is even further than that. What they've done is, you know, the standard for protection under the First Amendment as a as a media source, if you're going to try to exercise that, is you have to operate with at least the intention uh, to 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 publish real information. And so if you act with reckless disregard for the truth, which is what the standard is for the courts, thanks for indulging me to get to this point. But what the Supreme Court has said for a long time ago was the threshold for speech for free speech when you're talking about you know media type operations is whether they acted intentionally or with reckless disregard for the truth. Intentionally meaning knowing that they were putting out lies or they should have known it was a lie because they were reckless, you know, extremely reckless and negligent in not checking. And so when you come to a, an organization like InfoWars, they know what they're doing is false. They know this because they've never found a source for it, not a real source anyway. They could make one up. You know, some guy living under a rock might have told them a story, but you can't rely on that. It's not reasonable. But they've, they've never had information to back up their stories, Sandy Hook especially, but others as well. And so... When they try to say we're protected by the First Amendment, you're not because you made no effort to ascertain the truth and to put out accurate reporting. And what makes it worse, what makes it easier for the plaintiffs in this case was after they were called out for the false reporting, they doubled down instead of saying, oops, wow, I think we need to address this. We're sorry or, or we'll put out a correction. They doubled down and continued 
the very painful and harmful information they were putting out about the Sandy Hook families claiming their kids were never killed and, and that type of thing. I mean, you can imagine the, the trauma that these families continue to experience mm. all these years later. You never get over something like that. And uh, so for him to, you know, to put out that type of information. And so it, it's no surprise that the plaintiffs, the, the families at Sandy Hook in this particular case, won and they prevailed on appeal. Uh, in fact, they prevailed on appeal twice. And so that's not a surprise because Alex Jones and Infowars clearly were in violation of legal standards for, for, for protection as a media source or protection under the First Amendment. So that kind of is a no brainer when you look at that. They were so out of control, so reckless uh, that, in my opinion, they were intentionally putting up false information. But either way, it, it meets the standard. Now, what I was talking about at the end of that piece was the relevance of this to today's society because Infowars is done. They've got so many lawsuits now, they may not survive. And I think there are other organizations now that are claiming protection as the media, as social media under the First Amendment, who are doing similar work. Now, maybe they're not as blatant uh, as Infowars, but this is where, uh, you know, some of the news outlets that are perpetuating Trump's big lie about the election would go. The you know, the fact that there was no no evidence whatsoever about Dominion, the the uh, voting machine company. Right. They, they have multi-billion dollar lawsuits against <clears throat> several individuals, groups, media outlets and, and otherwise. Uh, and, and the analysis that would be used against that would be very similar to the Infowars case with the Sandy Hook families. It's the same legal standard, um, you know, not an identical situation, but the outcome should be the same. And then, you, you know, what about the, you know, the, the Trump organization or some of the political outlets, political free speech, or I should say political speech gets a little bit extra protection under the court's analysis. But when you have somebody putting out the same type of blatantly false information, it's been thrown out of court no less than 25 times because there's no evidence to support it, yet they keep saying it. And the harm, the harm of those lies was what you saw on January 6th. It wasn't speculative harm. There were hundreds of police officers who were injured and a few died as a result of that, plus the damage to the Capitol. And then, you know, on top of that, you have harm to society and that counts. When you're looking at government action, you look at the benefit or the harm to society, and you're talking about an extreme amount of harm to society. The, the further devolution of our politics, people clinging to this, these, you know, desperate assertion of a false claim of election fraud, and, and now you have laws being passed as a result of it that are going to disenfranchise people. There is absolutely demonstrable, provable harm to society across this country as a result of it. And I know that there are lawsuits pending. I, I can't wait to see how the courts treat them. We know it's going to take years because they're going to have to go up the appellate channels uh, to see how this plays out. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating. So I'll, I'll stop there. Ken? Oh, abs absolutely. Everything Rob said is absolutely true. And here's a couple of other things that I don't think people are aware of. There's a very famous quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. It said, freedom of speech does not allow you to yell fire in a crowded movie house. Freedom of speech is not an absolute. You are responsible for the things you say. Or as one of my con law professors used to say, freedom of speech is not the equivalent of freedom from consequences of speech. Exactly. I like that. I like right? that. Bob O'Toole. What InfoWars did was repeatedly 
put out information they knew, as Rob said, knew or should have known to be false, called reckless disregard. You cannot do that if you are claiming to be a news outlet. People who produce the MCU movies or the zombie movies or even Godzilla, we all know that is entertainment. So there, we already know there's a reckless disregard for the truth or a willing suspension of disbelief. That's the agreement we make with our entertainment industry. You're going to put out things we know not to be true. We understand that going in. That is not true. Example, the Godfather movies. I'm sure you've all seen them. Mm -hmm. Great movies. Were they inspired by the New York Mafia? Absolutely. Were there a lot of characters who probably had real life equivalents? A lot of people argue that Don Vito was based on a combination of Lucky Luciano and Frank Costello and a little Meyer Lansky. Probably true, but no one is suggesting that The Godfather is a biopic. No one is suggesting it's a Was Frank guy. Costello the guy from Who's On First? No, very funny. Bravo, bravo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that people need to remember, there's something called intentional inflection of emotional distress. It's a civil tort. And I'm not going to get into the weeds about it, but basically it says that if you do something that is so abhorrent, abhorrent to the norms of society, you can be held responsible for your actions. And no amount of the First Amendment is going to protect you in that case. And I am sorry, Mr. Alex Jones and the rest of those clowns on the far right media landscape, and there's a bunch of them out there, and InfoWars only is a, is a, a website, it's also a radio show and a podcast, and there's a bunch of these clowns out there who are, make, well, I'll be polite. <laughs> Let's just say they and reality aren't exactly on speaking terms. And they're going to be held to account, and they should be. And all I can say is, bye. Yeah, like I said, you know, yeah. it's a, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say. I mean, I, I agree with everything Ken just said, and, and it's interesting because you know we've always had, like I said, decades ago, we had the National Enquirer and, and sort <clears> of these <throat> entertainment publications that skirt the boundaries of legitimate news and what have you. Uh, and, and you know, we've always had political satire. We've we've always been able to laugh and have entertainment uh, about these things, but only in recent years do you really have the rise of this nonsensical social media uh, because that's just kind of unfortunately where we're headed in a way that, you know, people can't, people can't speak truth anymore because it's inconvenient. And so people have to make things up to support their narrative. And, you know, obviously an in individuals expressing opinions to each other, you can do whatever you want to, but when you try to hold yourself out as some kind of authority, when you, you when you use a platform on social media or what have you, then you bear some responsibility, which is what Ken was saying, that you can't just throw out, you know, all this nonsense out there. You, you bear some responsibility for accuracy and accountability of what you say. And if you make a mistake, you have to own it and fix it. 
And so that, you know, the difference between what we have now, you know, remember, we, we, we've talked about, you know, history sometimes on this show when, you know, we've referred to the greatest generation who fought World War II and helped preserve democracy in Europe and probably here as well. And the role of the United States around the world and, and that type of thing, which some people look back cynically at this point. But, you know, we used to stand up for, for freedom. We used to stand up for democracy. We used to stand up for all these things. And now what we have is, is an overwhelming amount of our society that is hiding behind freedoms, freedoms that they misapply rather than living up to them. And I think that's what we need to be focusing on here in this country. We need to start living up to our freedoms, not hiding behind them and abusing them. Mm, mm, great, great point. Got a lot of people in the chat. Maddie C from Sports for You and Me. He says, hello, what's up, Keith? And the guys of trouble from last month. He says, what was the name you guys last month that the woman called us? Oh, she called us. She called us three soulless, uncaring men because of our views on Texas restrictive abortion ban. And she was not happy with us. She's yet to return to the show. Um, I actually took the title. We, we, we actually laughed about it and you know, we, we, we had fun with it. Um, I do have a question for you guys that I had last week, um, and it's not in the thing for this week, but I'm just going to bring it up now that I got you guys on. A lot of the people from January 6th, I, I need to know this. A lot of these people who have been charged with the insurrection, it surprises me, but a lot of them are pleading guilty. And I, I heard real quick as to why some of these people are pleading guilty, but I got to ask from a defense standpoint, doesn't that ruin their future lives when you plead guilty and you're you're given a sentence? Um, one of the women who stole a laptop from Nancy Pelosi's office and stuff, she pled guilty. She got, I think it was like three years she got, and she got time served, and then she'll do the last so many years or something at her home. Do you guys agree with people pleading guilty with this this is a major charge. This will affect them and follow them for the rest of their lives. Should they, or should they have fought this? People are saying that a lot of people didn't want to fight this and take what could have been a, a worse charge. Is that true, Ken, from a defensive standpoint? Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, as I tell all my clients, my life is divided into two types of cases, tribal cases and non-tribal case, mm -hmm. cases. This, or let me rephrase that, the defendants in the January 6th insurrection case had what we like to call the profession a non-tribal case. Why? Video. Because you are on national goddamn television <laughs> doing this. Okay? This was, <clears throat> if I may, since the one, do a throwback to our old show. Oh, yes. It was a Z-Man <laughs> award winner. Okay. If I was the defense counsel, I am getting down on my hands and knees and kissing the U.S. attorney's feet for being such a lazy SOB and not wanting to try these cases for giving me this deal. <laughs> now, Rob and I have had this conversation before about the U.S. attorney's office because a lot of them rather rather take a deal than risk losing a case because they like to get their uh, conviction rates up. These people got what I call the Costco special. They got an incredible sale on a bulk item. They had no choice. It was either plead now and take whatever the government was giving you, and they were very nice, or go to trial and lose and get the get you know the proverbial, well, I don't know what you want to call it, dropped on you. Okay. 
ton of bricks <clears throat> on you. I think, and I'm all disappointed, they should have taken the trial and dropped the bricks on them. Because they need, we need to send a message. And we need to send a message loud and freaking clear. But, and the message is, I don't care if you didn't like the outcome of the election. I don't care if you thought the election was fixed. There are legal remedies. Trying to over, violently overthrow the government, we're not going to tolerate it. You know, to quote one of my favorite shows, Games of Thrones, head pikes walls. For those of you who know that reference, the rest of you don't, don't worry about it. But I think they, they had no choice. They, they, the, they had no choice. They made the only but doesn't that. pleading guilty and being sentenced, doesn't that stick with some of these like soccer moms, so to say? Now you're a soccer mom with a federal charge because you went up on January 6th and were part of an insurrection. Yeah, and I mean, now it hurts you flying, you know, three years from now, you can't fly somewhere because you've got, you're yep. on a no-fly list, you know? You'll be on uh, a no-fly list. You won't <clears> be able to own firearms. You won't be able to get certain jobs. Yeah, and guess what? They deserve it. Because you're lucky, because if it was me, I'm the U.S. attorney, I'm charging him with treason, which is a capital offense. Strap you down, stick a needle in your arm is my solution to the problem. Mm, I squared. Then, example. Your thoughts, I squared, on these, all these people just pleading guilty? Yeah, I, I agree with, uh, with what Ken's argument was going to be. <clears throat> And I think, you know, to answer your question, you know, yes, that this will carry a stigma for the rest of their lives. However, that stigma would be worse if they were convicted of the more serious charges that they would face if they didn't plead guilty. So whatever consequences they face, they pale in comparison to what they would get if they contested this. And there would be an overwhelming percentage of convictions because the evidence was there. So everything Ken said was, you know, was correct in that regard. What, what, what I would add is as someone who has been in, in charge of prosecution offices where you have to weigh the sort of the odds or, or whatever, sort of the balancing between not being able to fully, you know, to take every, every case as a, as a full contest because you don't have the time or the resources to do it versus which cases could, you know, which cases could reasonably be given a deal my my view on whether or not to approve the deals that my prosecutors were making would be it has to be a fair deal or, or we're not even going to consider it you don't give anything away they have to plead to the to the valid charges you can't just get away from that and and the amount of punishment that they're agreeing to has to be reasonable to what they did and then the deal might be worth taking uh, it can't just be because we're busy that that's a that's an incentive so now you've got the dc you know office over there uh, flooded with you know, hundreds of cases, I forgot what the actual number was, because not everybody is going to face a case. Right. But, you know, clearly mm -hmm. hundreds of cases in addition to the regular caseload. And so if you have people that, you know, remember, you had large teams of investigators watching all kinds of footage from the Capitol security cameras to the body cams of the officers to the media coverage to the uh, to the the videos taken by the by the uh, insurrectionists themselves. Remember, they were all filming yes. themselves. There's a lot of video evidence out there. As Ken said, there's plenty of evidence against them. And so for the most part, if you could look at the people that were really you know, I, I don't give any of them a pass. I think what they did to a person was serious and deserving of serious punishment. Some of them probably were reasonable 
cases to be uh, considered as trespassing. The people that were not involved in the violence that maybe were there to protest and followed the group in and didn't do anything other than walk through, which is not many of them. But, you know, then maybe you give those away as a trespass and the sentence for trespass wouldn't involve a tremendous amount of jail time. And so for the cases that that truly deserve consideration like that, you can give those away, so to speak, because the charges still could have been greater than that. And that's probably not a travesty of justice because they're still going to have a conviction. They're not going to do lengthy prison mm -hmm. time, but I think the consequences will be real. And, and maybe that's what a fair result is because as Ken would also say, and did say, we want to focus on the on taking those to trial, the people that engaged in violence or more serious conduct uh, in, in there, and there were plenty of them. There were so many people that caused significant harm to those law enforcement officers, the Capitol Police, the National Guard, the D.C. police. Uh, you know, we only saw a smattering of that. If you watch the, the impeachment hearings, they showed a lot of the footage that has not been allowed to be shown on, on the media because either it's evidence or too violent or whatever, but they showed it during the impeachment with a warning to the viewers. So, of course, I watched it. Uh, but I wanted to see for myself, and it's, it's, it's quite horrific. And so there is evidence of some incredibly serious, felonious conduct by these people. And I don't want any of them to not plead to felonies. And that's where I think Ken makes a good point that too many of these cases are being let off at the lower level charges. And I, and I get the decision-making that they're, they're gearing up for the ones, the leaders of the Proud Boys, the leaders of the 3%, the leaders of you know whatever, where they're going to have to focus a lot of person hours uh, and a lot of resources you know, to, to, to get those cases, because you cannot afford to lose those cases. Whatever you do, you cannot lose those cases. Now, you know, Ken and I joke sometimes about the U.S. attorney's offices are, are, are you know, scared that they, they, they have tremendous pressure on their win loss record and they, they gift wrap and give cases away to avoid even the risk of losing a case. Uh, in, in a situation like this, where you've got so many cases, you do have to give some of them away if you can demonstrate that these were the lower level actors that don't pose the same amount of risk. But for the serious actors, those people that really attacked the law enforcement officers, those people that were in the Capitol to cause harm to our elected officials, you know, there are hundreds of those cases. We cannot lose a single one of them at any cost. I don't mean at any cost, we have to follow the rules, but I mean, everything has to be done to, you know, as, as near perfect a standard as is possible. We're human beings, we're not perfect, but these cases must be prosecuted as close to a standard of perfection as is humanly possible. And so if I see that the Department of Justice uh, are, are doing that with the important cases, because remember, those won't be done first. When If I see that, I'll feel better about this. My last point, sorry for diatribe here. No, no, no. My no, last no. point, my last point is in at least one case, and I think it was two cases, the judges, the two different federal judges questioned the uh, prosecution and saying, you know, I'm not really comfortable with some of these deals I'm seeing. I think the, the misconduct was far too serious and you're giving these cases away. I'm not sure I'm going to accept the deal that you're offering. And so there are a couple of judges in there that have looked at some of these cases, looked at the evidence and said, you know what, I don't think this is a good deal on behalf of the people of the United States. It was a great deal for the defense. As Ken said, they're giving that away, gift wrap on a bow, the Costco special, whatever he wants <laughs> to call it. Uh, but but a couple of these judges on a couple of these cases where you had a little bit more serious uh misconduct by the individual, the judge is saying, you know, you're giving too many of these away. We're not comfortable with this. The easy ones, yes, but some of these you, you've got to take a look at. And I agree with those judges.
And there was one woman, they actually, what you're talking about, just that actually just went down, and I believe this is the case. The woman who said she was with her friend, and they were talking about that they were going to shoot Nancy Pelosi in the brain. And they were going yeah. back and forth, and they were saying, well, she, they, it was supposed to be a joke. And one no, of the judges felt like, well, no, I don't think this was a joke. And she ended up pleading to some lesser charge or something guilty of, and then they agreed on it. But it was, it went down just like you said. He felt like, no, we're not just going to let this slide. This is a serious, you know, comment that she made. And somebody said, well, when she made it on camera, she was actually walking away from the White House, so she really wasn't a threat. Maybe Ken would know this. He's a defense attorney who would, you know, support someone and kind of use this type of defense. You know, what were they trying to say here? They were trying to say abandonment. And it, I understand what they were trying to do. And I'll explain the defensive abandonment. What the defensive abandonment is, is you get you start you start doing a criminal case or you start doing a criminal act and you said, wait a minute, I don't want to do this. So you abandon the action and the other, other actors go forward. It's called abandonment. That's what she was trying to argue. No, nice try. She also was trying to argue the fact that when she said, we're going to shoot Nancy Pelosi in the head, that was basically verbiage not to be taken seriously. Like, like people say, I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, let's, you know, let's, you know, let's, you know, we're going to burn the house down. And there's a certain level of tolerance in criminal law about people saying superfluous and stupid things. At what point does it rise to a level that's criminality? So the, the answer is we break out what is called the reasonably prudent person. And it's this fictional person who said, would this individual believe the threat to be true? And if this individual believes the threat to be true, then it's criminal. If he isn't, then it's not criminal. So that's the standard, the reasonably prudent person. And I think in this case, a reasonably prudent person would believe they were serious about shooting Nancy Pelosi in the head. I thought so. Yeah, Ken, Ken's, Ken's correct. His, his analysis is exactly right. You know, we teach abandonment in my crim law class. And I always say, you've got a group that's going to go rob the bank. The bank is to the left and four cars turn left and you decide to turn right and not go with them. That's abandonment. Right. Perfect uh, example. But Perfect. The cars, that, the cars that turn left and approach the bank are committing the crime, whether they're right. successful or not. And right. so in this particular case, was she, you know, attempting to get into the Capitol to cause harm to Nancy Pelosi or anybody else? And just they simply didn't make it because there was enough of a law enforcement presence to deter them from actually finding Nancy Pelosi, as you know. Uh, or did she simply decide, you know, that wasn't what she was going to do? So the prosecution has to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they think that they have evidence to do that, then that's the right answer to make. But keep in mind that, you know, we saw this. The, the, the video evidence is uncontroverted that there were people in there searching the Capitol hallways for Nancy Pelosi, for Mike Pence, for, uh, you know, for other elected officials, um, and and they you know and they seemed to know where to go. Thankfully, there was enough of a, they had just enough lead time to get some of them out of the way, uh, or to otherwise barricade them in. And, and no, no member of Congress uh, was actually physically harmed. But these these insurrectionists were very very close. I mean, they were they were minutes away from from getting there in time to be able to do that. And so when you have a group of people, you know, all the hundreds and hundreds of people that did this probably were not all intending to take place and, you know, take part in the murder of our elected officials. But the ones that were, that's uh, an incredibly serious crime. 
And so the people that were there with them um, speaking in those same type of, of threats, you have to assume that they were serious because we know for a fact that there were groups who were planning to do that. And so you can't make jokes like that. You know, if, if you're if you're sitting at home having a drink and you make a joke like that, you have no present ability to carry it out. You might get away with it. But if you're standing on the Capitol grounds and you make a joke like that in the middle of an insurrection, it's not a joke, folks. Especially considering the context of what these words were issued. Remember, there were people there with camo gear, with vests, with gas masks, with weapons, with cutting tools. There was also a lot of chatter on the internet organizing this whole thing. This was not some spur of the moment thing. I think this is one of the worst things that has come out, this false narrative that this was a spur of the moment thing. No, this was organized. It was disciplined. They had a plan. They executed their plan. Or to quote the Navy SEALs, plan your dive, dive your plan. That's exactly what they were doing. So this suggestion that, oh, we all got, no, no. Not when you planned that, not when you crossed the threshold, not when you went in there. If that woman had climbed on the Capitol steps and got midway up the Capitol steps and said, you know, no, not anymore, and then went back down, I'd say, yeah, you got a pretty good case for abandonment right there. But when you crossed the threshold, when you went into the House chamber, sorry, hmm. no. Ooh, good stuff. Good stuff, 742. And we, we get a lot of more stuff to talk about. Um, Tom Brady just tweeted, Great to be back in New England last weekend, but as a wise man once said, we're on to Miami. That is a, that is an awesome, awesome tweet from Tom Brady, paying respects to the mentor, Bill Belichick. We'll get into that in the sports booth. I've got something to, t- to show you guys on that one. Um, still in the legal booth, I actually reached out to a resident private investigator to come on this show at the end of the month, if so, we could be looking at an on-the-mark possible reunion between Sinister One and Mark Chappetta. Um, He's going to come on. We're going to talk about this Britney Spears conservatory case that's just blowing up all over the place. Another uh, bombshell network special on Netflix. Um, and just to let you guys know, her brother just came out and announced that she made $1 billion in the sales of her perfume. $1 billion. And she made that money, which means her father was doing exactly what he was doing with her conservatorship, not doing what other child actor parents have been doing. Um, As you guys know, her father was removed from the conservatorship. Why? Well, because it has now been exposed that he had the house bugged and was listening in on conversations and phone calls. But the rumor is, is that he had hired a PI to do this. And I'm going to have Mark on to kind of break that down and talk about this and see if her father had a right because she is bat crap crazy. So moving on into the entertainment booth, uh, Nick Cannon came out today, says he'll enter celibacy until 2022. This is a guy who fathered three children with three different women in less than six, you know, nine months. It's just ridiculous. I'm tired of hearing this guy's voice. Can we just S to F up? Okay, ScarJo settles her lawsuit with Disney on the Black Widow lawsuit. If you guys remember, Disney released Black Widow during COVID to the Disney Plus, and she came out and sued Disney and said that they didn't make this much money, and if it had been released in the movie, she would have made more money. Guess what? Shang-Chi was released only to the movies. It went five weeks at number one. It surpassed Black Widow, and once that happened, they settled. So I'm pretty sure that what Shang-Chi did 
proved Skajo's point, so good thing with her. Getting into the sports booth real quick. We've got a one-game playoff tonight here in Boston. Uh, Reds, oh, actually, I think it's in, that game's in New York. Uh, Red Sox and Yankees. No, it's at one, Fenway. It is at Fenway? Okay, so yeah, that game is... at Fenway. Okay, I thought Yankees had the better record. So it's the one-game playoff. It's tonight. Jump in front of your TVs. We've been blessed right now. Also, getting into the sports booth, as I said, Patriots lost a tough game, 19-17 to the Bucks in the return of Tom Brady. Look, this game lived up to all the hype. 65,000 people stayed at the stadium until the very end of this game, and um, it lived up to the hype. The game lived up to all of the hype. Matt Jones is our quarterback. There's no denying it. The kid played a hell of a game. He went toe-to-toe with Tom Brady. To be honest, he actually outshined Tom Brady here. Um, and and I'm going to get that up for you guys right now. He actually outshined Tom Brady. Uh, Mac Jones, 31-40, of 40, passing, 275 yards, two touchdowns, a 101 quarterback rating. Tom Brady, 22-43, 269 yards, 70.8. Now, here's my thoughts on this game. Um with this game, you know, you have this quarterback in Tom Brady who you think is going to come out here and a lot of people were saying was going to drop 40 points or more on the Patriots. And I told everybody on this show on Friday night that wasn't going to happen against the guy who knows him the best, that's Bill Belichick. And one of the things I did notice was is that Bruce Arians kept Tom Brady off the field. They kept the solid running game. And I was like, wow, if they lose this game, Bruce Arians is going to have to answer the question as to why he kept Tom Brady off the field. Then I woke up the next morning and I thought about it. And I said, you know what? Belichick is known for exposing players and ruining their careers. He did it with Willie McGinnis. He did it with Chris Slade. When guys leave and then they come back, he exposes their weaknesses to the point where they don't play the same. And sometimes I wonder if Bruce Arians might have been like, you know what? We got a lot of football left. I don't need to have Coach Belichick expose the weaknesses of my quarterback that, you know, that he knows and can't take that chance. So just going to go around the horn real quick. I'm going to let these guys talk about the game. Great game. Again, Giants suffering another injury loss up there and uh, the injury bug between the Giants and um, the Titans has been crazy. I'm going to start with our squared real quick. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the Giants did get their first win of the season Sunday, so that's the really the only news I cared about. But uh, – you know, as far as the, the Tampa Bay and, and New England game, here's I, I guess I have two thoughts. It's one of 17 games that each of those teams will play. And the NFL is not a soap opera. Those are my two thoughts on the game. It was the whole hype was offensive. I, NBC should be ashamed uh, of the uh, of the commercials they were showing. It was ridiculous. Um, and and, you know, players switch teams sometimes. They come back to play their old team sometimes. Uh, there may be some issues with that. People have good memories. The fans still appreciate them. Mm. Brett Favre did it. You know, it, it's it's just not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It was a it was a football game. And uh, first of all, Tampa is not as good as they were last year. They're probably not going to be in the Super Bowl this year. I think there are plenty of better teams in the NFC that will beat them to get there. Uh, the Patriots, Mac Jones is their quarterback. I've been impressed with them this season uh, that, you know, obviously they saw something in him and, and he's living up to it. So that's you know good for him. I don't know that they will be, you know, a strong playoff team this year, but they're definitely building towards it and they'll be back soon. So uh, I just don't see this as anything more than one out of 17 games. Sorry. 
Ken, real quick. Real quick, awesome game. That was old school football. I greatly enjoy it. But other than that, please replay what Rob just said because he's absolutely goddamn right. Look, players switch teams all the time. They get traded. Brady was a bit of an anomaly. He spent 20 years with the same team. You don't see a lot of people like that. Well, you don't see a lot of people playing for 20 years yeah. in any professional sport. I mean, the last person who had that kind of record was a guy named Gordy Howe with the Detroit Red Wings in the old NHL, those of you can remember that far back. But I think one of the big stories is something no one's talking about. Mac Jones had a great had a great game. Tom Brady had a great game was the Patriots' defense. Actually, for the first time in a long time, actually, sounded like they actually showed up to play. I was very impressed. Not our year. That's okay. Can't win, can't win every season. Can't win every game. You know, like, like Bill Belichick, on the next season. Well, like I've always said, week four, after week four is when you really start to see the pretenders and contenders. Remember, we were in this position before – Patriots lost to Kansas City. Everybody was talking about blowing up the team and getting rid of people, and they went on to win the Super Bowl that year. So real quick, uh, if you guys didn't get to see it, though, um, Brady and Belichick did share a hug, and if you haven't seen the emotional hug yet, here's that hug real quick. Here we go. Going to be. You knew this Patriots team was going to be ready. They were emotional. They were excited, and they played a great game tonight. All right, so Belichick comes out to the middle field everyone waiting to see if he says anything congratulates Brady normally it's coach to coach Falls out on that track down there in Talladega. So big ups to my man, Bubba Wallace, 2311 team, and uh, good stuff. Also, moving on into the sports booth, if you guys haven't heard, one of the smallest stadiums is about to go bye-bye. Chicago Bears organization purchased Arlington Heights Racetrack for $197 million. Uh, looks like the Chicago Bears will be getting a new stadium uh, some years down the line, so we'll be keeping an eye on that because every stadium that's just been built recently has outdone every stadium. The, the SoFi Stadium is an amazing, incredible stadium. I wish I could get out there and see that stadium. Um, I would love it. Heading into the Biden bombshells. Here we go. And I was confused with this. I actually talked to Rob off air on this one. Uh, the Pentagon is going to require COVID vaccinations for civilian employees as of November 22nd of this year. We had already, I had already thought, you know, because I work for this end of the state that you know, 
state and federal mandates have been put out there, I would have thought that everybody in the Pentagon was mandated, but I guess not because they've now put this out there. I'm going to let Asquid get in and, and talk about this this mandate for civilian employees and what might be going on here. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is a change. Now, when you're talking about the Pentagon, you're talking about the Department of Defense, you've got the uniformed and the, and the civilian, and that's that, those are the only two distinctions. <clears throat> and so obviously there are going to be different rules and requirements sometimes for those in uniform as opposed to those who are civilian employees. The civilian employees are federal employees like any other federal agency. And so when the federal mandate was announced over the summertime, that included the civilian workers, the, the federal employees at the Pentagon. So uh, I, I don't know what this new announcement was for November. Maybe they, maybe they needed to delay it because of uh, the number of people or, or for some challenge in the personnel system. I'm, I'm not sure, but they were covered by the original mandate. Uh, and of course, uh, Secretary of Defense Austin made it mandatory for all those in uniform to be vaccinated. And so you, you'll have a handful of people in uniform and from the civilian force that, you know, choose not to do that and, and invite the consequences and they will face those consequences, whether, you know, whether they're personnel actions on the civilian side or disciplinary actions on the uniform side, they, they've been pretty clear about that. So to me, th this is not really a, a new announcement. There may have been a slight delay or extension to get it done maybe, but uh, it's not a new requirement. Ken, anything to add? No, I, what Rob said is absolutely correct. From what I, excuse me, from what I understand, Biden made uh, executive order requiring all federal employees to get vaccinated. This is just a follow through on that. And there's actually no excuse why they should not get vaccinated. Okay. And, and one other thing about the mandate, it was federal employees and contractors. So it doesn't leave anybody out. If you if you're an independent company with contracts with the federal government, in order to keep those contracts, your employees have to be vaccinated. And so it's not even a distinction for a contractor versus official employee They're, They all have to be vaccinated. Mm, OK, uh, moving on into the Biden bombshells. China has been showing their muscle yet again. Uh, they showed their muscle over Taiwan airspace with 150 military flights. Um, they're supposed to get permission to fly over that fly zone, but they didn't do as such. Um, they said they really towed the line because they didn't want to piss off the new prime minister that's been elected over in Japan. And they said that, you know, that this was, you know, this is one of these things to watch. Um, it's a very political move. Um, they said it wasn't really a show of force. It's just more of them kind of just flexing their muscle. Anything you guys want to add to that? I squared from a military perspective. You know, for decades, the thing that makes China successful is their tactical patience. They play the long game. They're not worried about what happens next year, and they're not worried about what happens in five years. They're thinking 20, 30 years down the road. And that makes them strategically uh, very, very challenging for us because we're always focused on our immediate political cycle. We've got to, we're, we're worried about the next year or two. And so uh, it really makes it very difficult to have. Uh, a, a real firm grasp on what China is doing. Although 
realistically, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of difference between the different administrations and the way that they have viewed China. They may have some different priorities or verbiage that they like to use, but for the most part, China policy over the years has been somewhat consistent. They are a necessary trading partner, unfortunately, because we have allowed them to steal all of our technology and build it cheaper to the point where we don't make things anymore. And now we have to import so much from China that we can't live without them. We have a completely reliant economy on China that, and of course they pay for our national debt. And so, uh, so that's the, the economic side. So on the, on the political side, uh, you know, China, again, they're playing the long game. They're, you know, they waited out the British and got Hong Kong back and they're waiting their time till they get Taiwan back because they will. Um, they don't care if it takes 20 years because they're, they're, they don't think the same way we do, where it's a failure if we don't do it in, in a single political cycle. And so, you know, China has been incredibly aggressive and increasingly aggressive for years. This is nothing new. And so they may have done flyovers over Taiwan. Now maybe they're using more advanced and, and, and a greater number of aircraft when they do it. You know, that, that's fine. That You notice they didn't do anything threatening other than to violate the airspace. They were very careful not right. to have any accidents. You know, nobody got bombed or anything like that. They're not going to attack Taiwan, at least not now. But, uh, you know, so th this was a show of force. Why are they doing that? Because remember, China, uh, they want to take control over the South China Sea. It's an incredibly important strategic piece of water. And, uh, you know, the way that international maritime law works, and I'll, I won't give a long legal lecture promise, otherwise people will be asleep in two minutes. But <laughs> basically, the, you know, your, your borders extend from points, you know, from land points. So what China did was they constructed islands. They, they built islands thousands of miles out so that their border runs through these islands instead of through the mainland of China. And so if you count these islands as real Chinese territory, that means the entire South China Sea belongs to China. It's their sovereign territory. The United States, NATO, and, and other countries uh, have all said that they don't accept those islands as Chinese territory. They're not real, and they were built specifically for this military purpose. And so the United States and, and others uh, continue to sail our uh, private ships and our military ships through those waters to demonstrate this is how you do it under international law. If you reject their claims, you do freedom of navigation actions, which is what the United States has been doing. Every administration has been doing it. And we sail you know, aircraft carriers and other military uh, fleets um, and, and you know, civilian shipping. And we go right through those things on a regular basis, which is our way of telling them under the law that we don't accept those claims. And so this is China retaliating for that uh, because they obviously want to claim the entire South China Sea. By the way, if we ever let them get away with it, um, our economy will go to shambles. We, we need to be able to sail through those areas for trading partners and, and everything else. So this is, this is a, a really important geopolitical area. Uh, it can lead to tremendous instability. It could lead to war. And so this is why the United States and our allies and other interested nations are constantly sailing through there because they're putting a legal claim uh, to make sure that China knows that they don't own that and they can't block us from sailing through. Now, in layman's term, because a lot of people who listen to this or rate, maybe read the story, how, how does one tell that difference when they say that they know that it was just flexing their muscle and not a show of force from a military perspective. How do we know, how, how do you guys determine the difference 
What what are they doing different that means it's not a show of force? We obviously know that this is just them flexing. What is it that their Air Force is doing? What just kind of because well, I know there's a lot would, of people that would, don't understand that. Yeah, first you would you know this is happening in real time, but of course they have to maneuver the aircraft in such a way that they're pre-positioned to make that flight to to over Taiwan. Remember, China's a large country. They have their air force all over the country. So they had to they had to move planes to an area and our satellite and other intelligence would show that that was happening. So we would know that. Uh, also, if uh, if it's possible to see this in advance or maybe maybe people in Taiwan would have to record this, but their planes would not have full armaments on them. Right. Oh, and of course, they didn't gotcha. launch any munitions. So, you know, if they did have full armaments, I don't know, it would have been too late to do anything about it at that point. But this is this is what happened. And so if you guys remember, you know, in recent weeks, General Milley got uh, some hot water for these conversations he had with his Chinese counterpart, General right. Lee. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm. and of course, as it, you know, as you look at it, he was technically correct in what he did. And he had permission of his boss, Secretary of Defense Esper, you know, under the Trump administration to make those communications. And so he did nothing wrong. And I think he explained it very well during those hearings that they had. But keep in mind that the Chinese could also be telling us we're going to do a flyover. We're not invading. It's a flyover. And then we know not to overreact to it. There are all these secret communications that happen among adversaries to prevent an accidental uh, war from starting. Gotcha. Ken, anything you want to add to that? Yes, very simply. I don't know who once said it, but someone once said the problem with the American China relations is we pay, we play checkers, they play chess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we both think we're playing the same game and we're not. The Chinese have are not the first people to try to establish different uh, boundaries or different water boundaries under national law. If you remember, Muammar Gaddafi claimed the entire Gulf of Sidra, basically because the entire Gulf, uh, the east and west sections of the Gulf of Sidra were Libyan territory, but the center of it was more than uh, 10 miles away from the Libyan coast. But he said, I don't care. The U.S. Navy used to say, we don't care that you don't care, and would fly their planes and aircraft carriers in the Gulf of Sidra all the time. In fact, shot down a number of, of Libyan planes on these freedom of navigation exercises. So this is nothing new. The Chinese are doing the exact, they're, they're probing, <clears throat> they're trying to find weaknesses. And as Rob said, you know, they're looking 10, 20, 30, 40, a century down, down the road. Gotcha. So all I can say is stay tuned. This, right. this is not going away. All right. We'll keep an eye on that and keep watching um, as we close out the Biden bombshells and get ready to get out of here. Biden tells Republicans to get out of the way as he plans to raise the debt limit this week. Uh, there's a few Republicans that are keeping this from going forward. This this debt limit plan that he has proposed, um, you know, and he wants us wants them to get out of the way. Let's get this done. We don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, your thoughts on this before we head out of here? I'm going to let uh, um, Ken go first on this one. Well, okay. Let's try to explain why we need to... Um, let me rephrase that. Let's explain how we got here. We got here because of the fiscal irresponsibility of the Trump administration. The reason we need to raise the debt ceiling is what happened during the Trump administration. Okay? So that's the reason we need to do it. You don't raise the debt ceiling for things you're going to do in the future. You raise for things you're going to do in the past. And the Republicans are being incredibly irresponsible. This was the financial policies that they backed. Now the chickens are coming home to roost. Okay. This is a problem. We go through this every single year. 
The Republicans have been doing this for a long time, playing political football with basically a nonpartisan issue. We can't afford to default on federal obligations. The economic catastrophe that would happen would make the Great Depression look like a minor headache. An example is the difference between a minor headache and a caged-in skull. <laughs> so I think Biden was just getting frustrated. Just get it done. He's right. They're wrong. They're just trying to play to their base, and they'll do it the last possible second and blame Biden. All right. Oscar. You know, it's interesting. In, in the past, they've played these games mm. because you've had grandstanders like Ted Cruz or Rand Paul or somebody that tried to filibuster, but at the last minute, you know, McConnell or somebody would shut them down and they would quietly pass a, uh, you know, a debt ceiling uh, bill so that we don't default on our on our debts. Uh, again, because nobody's without fault. We've been we've been deficit spending for a long time, although 85 percent of our national debt came from Republican administrations. People should know that it's 85 percent of this 24 plus trillion dollar deficit. Uh, you know, it, it's 85 percent from Republican spending. And so, you know, Democrats have done some deficit spending and, and you could argue against some of what Democrats have tried to do, but it didn't run up anywhere close to the national debt. It's about 15 percent of our national debt. And so when when the Republicans are trying to say this is a Democratic problem, it's their spending that's causing it. Well, no, that's just factually not correct. It's this is you know, this is the past due debts from, you know, the Trump spending where they increased federal spending. They gave a tax cut that wasn't paid for. And uh, the result was adding, if you remember, he added four trillion, four plus trillion dollars to the national debt in one term. And this is what the, the debt ceiling is going to raise at this point. Now, Ken's final point, and I hope he's right about this, which is after they make some noise, they'll eventually vote for it. I don't know. This year smells a little bit different to me. I hope I'm wrong about this and that Ken is right. But it seems to me that they've really dug in in such a profound and public way that they can't do the last minute deal uh, unless the Democrats throw in some, you know, some ridiculous thing in there that they absolutely want and can't otherwise get. And, you know, uh, Senator Rick Scott, which is, you know, the disgrace from Florida, um, you know, the guy who's responsible for the largest Medicare fraud case in U.S. history, uh, you know, our current senator here, one of our senators, said on television yesterday, he actually said it, you know, Republicans sometimes say this stuff out loud. He said <laughs> that we are, he, he understood, you know, somebody asked him a question. I think it was Chris Wallace on Fox News, actually, I'm not sure. But somebody asked him, you know, about the debt ceiling and it's the previous debt from the Trump administration and all that. And Rick Scott said, yes, we know that this is all politics. And we know that it's going to have economic consequences. That's why we're doing it. We believe people will blame the Democrats for it. It is a game. They are playing a political game. Rick Scott said it. Mitch McConnell knows it. They all know it. And, and some of them are saying it out loud because Scott's not the only one. And, and so it's exactly true. You can't overstate the economic calamity that's going to happen. Have you seen the way the markets have been falling all week because of this mm -hmm. news? That's what's yeah. causing the markets to fall. And so you're going to have inflation, you're going to have unemployment, you're going to have all kinds of problems. And it's all going to be because of the debt limit issue. There may be other things that would cause problems, but this is what's going to actually cause it is this debt ceiling thing if we don't do it. And so uh, because the, the Republicans are actually, they've said it out loud. This is not me speculating or being partisan. This is what they themselves have said. They want to create 
the economic crisis that's going to happen, that's inevitable from this, because they believe that they can just blame the Democrats for it. The Democrats have the White House and Congress right now, and people will forget, number one, that this debt limit came from the Trump administration, and people will forget or just not understand that this is not about raising the debt. See, Republicans are trying to say this is about new spending and raising the debt. It's not. This is to pay the the bills that we already spent. And so they're banking on the fact that the American people will not understand what this is really about and therefore will not hold it against Republicans in any large number that they will, in fact, blame the Democrats who control government now. Uh, The problem is you need 60 votes in the Senate. And so, again, Republicans are playing this dangerous game. I mean, I think Americans at this point are well versed in the fact that you don't need a simple majority in the Senate. You need some you need to get to 60. You need some Republicans. And if Mitch McConnell is saying that, hey, Democrats, you have to pass this yourself. And when the Democrats pass it, the the Republicans all vote no, which means the Democrats can't pass it. If they would just not vote, then the Democrats can pass it. But they are preventing, they are voting no, which is preventing the legislation from passing. So every day, Mitch McConnell says, hey, Democrats, you're in control. You need to pass something. So the Democrats pass it or they, they try to pass it. The Republicans vote it down and then say, what are you guys doing? You need to be passing this. Well, that's why Biden said, get out of the way. If you don't want to be part of it, then just get out of the way. Let the Democrats vote for it, and then they'll be the ones who vote for it. But if they keep blocking it, then they're the ones who are actually blocking it. And and it's got to fall on them, but I'm not so sure. I think maybe, you know, it it seems that these strategies of theirs tend to work. Uh, You know, it it worked in the 2020 election with, you know, the Democrats won the White House, but Republicans, you know, they they really would have won the Senate if Trump didn't run his mouth in Georgia, and they almost won the House back uh, using these very same tactics. And so I'm not so sure. I, I, you know, I I think everybody in the United, every citizen in the United States deserves the right to vote, and I don't have to agree or, you know, or like how they vote. They have the right to do it, but I become increasingly worried about the American electorate who seems, you know, to fall victim to these, these ridiculous, uh, you know, political storylines that are coming out there, you know, these false uh, things that are being, being done. It's just, it's crazy. Mm. Mm -mm. Wow. Good show. Good stuff. This is why I got these guys on once a month, man. This is why I got them on. I saved these stories for these guys to break it down. They're bringing facts to you guys, and they're, they're telling us exactly what needs to be told. And, you know, I wanted to get these guys on. So, guys, here's my beanies if you want to help out. Uh, beanies are going to be on the way soon. i got to put an order in. I, I'm going to try to find a local distributor. Also, check out all these guys here showing their support. I appreciate you guys for holding it down. And by purchasing your beanies. Also, don't forget that <clears throat> since the one productions is producing and behind some of the best podcasts out there, Oscar Mike Radio, Maddie C Sports for you and me. Happy hour with Lido is coming back next week. He's done with his wedding. He's back from being getting married. So big congrats to him. But his first show will be next week. Talk back with Gloria Shea. She'll have a live episode next week. Uh, actually, this Saturday coming up. Live episode with her with uh, Chancellor K. Jackson, I believe his name is, and then uh, he talks football podcast, uh, co-producing with her whenever she needs some help. We want to keep an eye on that. Also, Murder the Mic is this Friday night. Um, if you guys want to make sure to check that out, that's going to be Friday night in Fall River. Murder the Mic, applause for the cause, and you want to check that out. Viana Marie will be performing Doors Open at 7, and I will be DJing at the Whitman VFW on November 20th. Operation Hope 
for the home front. This is to raise money for PTSD veterans. Um, and the money goes towards all these veterans. It helps them out with any type of uh, getting a home and, and things of that sort. It's a $22 donation. I know it's kind of high for an event, but it's it, this is for a freaking good charge. 100% I'm being told of whatever comes in is going to these veterans. And um, the woman who's handling this is Amber. We've had her on this show several times so want to make sure you guys check that out um and that's the show i'm gonna let these guys go around the horn and give their last words until they're on next month r squared i'm gonna start with you man hey great show thanks for having us uh good discussion everybody stay informed ken diesel big shout out to all of our listeners all 12 of you be safe we'll see you next month and um, I'm going to close out the show before I let SpongeBob take us home. I'm going to show you guys uh, Bubba Wallace's win at Talladega yesterday. And look, I, okay, before we get out of it real quick, I, I know everybody's up and talking about the fact that he is the second black person to win a NASCAR Cup, blah, blah, blah. Look, we don't have to title it by race. We already had the first person, the first black person, win a NASCAR Cup. Bubba Wallace... One Talladega. Let's can we just leave it at that? We we don't have to put race on everything. I get it. He's the second guy that has that's won a cup race in so many years. I get it. I get it. I understand it. But in the climate that we're in, I think sometimes trying to place labels damages society even further. And I and I don't think we needed to bring this whole big race issue into Bubba Wallace winning Talladega. Let's just celebrate the fact that Bubba Wallace and Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin, the 2311 team, bam, bam, won Talladega, and let's just leave it at that. There's no need to put a label on it, and, and we'll go. If you guys want to chime in real quick on that, you can before we get out of here. I-squared or, or Ken? I'm good. All right, cool. So we're going to show you these clips. We're going to be out of here. We're going to be back here next week with more booth. It's your boy since the one that then SpongeBob will take us home after you guys watch these clips. History made once again. It's official. Bubba Wallace gets his first career win. He's just the second African American to ever win at the highest level of NASCAR. Over 50 years ago, Wendell Scott was the first. Bubba Wallace now officially the winner at Talladega. All right, let's go, let's go! Got our first win here at Talladega. So fitting with everything that's going on here, the history here. Man, I'm just so proud of everybody on 2311. This is a dream come true for a lot of us on this team. Everybody on this team takes a team effort to, uh, to get here, and we're taking home some hardware. First win for me in a really long time. I know I've been eating off that each and every day. I wake up every morning. And I want to win a cup race. And so now I can say I've won a cup race. So we'll take it. We'll celebrate. Appreciate everybody that tuned in. Appreciate all my passionate fans. The ones that have stuck through the thin and the, the thick and the thin. You mean so much to me. I may not always appreciate it, but I always do behind the scenes because we know how this world can be. So appreciate you guys. 23 group, Bubba group. We got us a dub. Let's go. Well, see you next Tuesday. 
Thank you for listening to The Booth on Hoobazoo and HatcherRadio.com. Please follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The Booth is a Sinister One production hosted by Sinister One. I've got to start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and understand politics and stuff. It's just that I'm up on this level up here and all my friends are down here. Me, nah. You guys, nah. Maybe a little more down, down in here. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I smoke, I drink, I do my thing. These bitches hating, so you know I got to make it plain. Don't do cocaine with your chick, my main. We stick together, true forever, yeah, you know we bang. I miss those days, which was easy. If only I made it, don't repeat. Now that I done upgraded, I've been upstate, but y'all think I'm playing. And I got a hit now for these weak assholes who think I ain't slaying. Try me, try me, and I'll probably end up laughing because I never back down. I'm that chick with a clean ass whip. I don't need that shit. Cause I got my own now. I get hurt, I get tired of fussing, fighting, guess I gotta crack down. Don't mess with me, cause on everything, I'ma have to bring the whole city out. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's your website, get your website, get your website, get your website.